Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, Teaching at Church. I was invited to address a group of snufferites a couple of weeks ago. It was Sunday morning. It was June 28th, 2020. And I got to choose what it was that I would speak about. So I decided that I would talk about my experiences teaching in the LDS Church. I have a number of stories related to that. I have a number of thoughts related to that. And I thought this might be a good venue to talk about those. Now, I have to say a couple of things here. First off, before we get to the actual presentation, the first thing is this, is that The people who follow Denver Snuffer, number one, do not want to be called snufferites. I said snufferites at the beginning, but it's only because it has become the term that has become associated with them. And pretty much everybody who knows about Denver Snuffer has heard the term snufferites. They do not like that term. The problem is, is that they really haven't come up with another name that can be used that they all agree on. In fact, they wouldn't even necessarily agree with the idea that they quote unquote follow Denver Snuffer. Some have proposed the idea that they are called the Remnant Movement. But that name hasn't really caught on either as far as I'm aware. And therefore, it's difficult to talk about them by using a name because they don't have a name that they all agree on. But there are some names that they really don't like, even though they are very descriptive, like Snufferite. So first off, I have to apologize for using that term. I use it only for description for my audience and not to be rude to them. And you will hear that issue about how to refer to them come up during the course of the conversation. The second thing is this, is that these followers of Denver Snuffer, this remnant movement, is growing and growing and siphoning off a number of people from the LDS Church, which is one of the reasons that the LDS Church is becoming more and more concerned about Denver Snuffer and his movement, this remnant movement that I've been telling you about. And members of this remnant movement tend to meet together on Sundays. They sort of have their own kind of church meetings. They will frequently have the sacrament, which of course drives the LDS Church nuts because they're not getting permission from an LDS bishop to do the sacrament. They're doing it on their own. The LDS Church tends to get its knickers in a twist over this because they don't have the keys, right? They don't have the keys of the priesthood to be able to do the sacrament or to have permission to do the sacrament. And therefore, even though they're doing the sacrament in the same way that the LDS Church does the sacrament, and even though they hold the priesthood, many of them still from their membership in the LDS Church, this is a kanwa, as we would say in Japan. This is forbidden from the LDS Church's perspective. And in some areas, such as Europe, which is the area that I presented at, On this particular Sunday, June 28th, 2020, there are so few members of this movement and they're located so far apart that they can't get together physically and so instead they meet by Zoom meeting on Sundays. And they have people who are located in England, people who are located in Germany and in other countries in Europe. So how was it that Radio Free Mormon was tapped to address this particular group of remnant movement believers, aka snufferites, in Europe? Well, thereby hangs this tale, which I will try and keep brief. My oldest son, whose name is Jonathan, you'll hear him speak in the recording that follows. There are other people that speak, but Jonathan will speak as well. And actually, toward the end of the presentation, he'll tell a few stories about Radio Free Mormon and his experience with Radio Free Mormon before Radio Free Mormon was Radio Free Mormon. But Jonathan is somewhat interested in the Snufferite or the Remnant movement. His wife definitely is, and his wife's parents are very involved in the Denver Snuffer movement. And because of that, Jonathan and his wife participate in these weekly Zoom meetings with the other members of the group throughout Europe. 
So recently, Jonathan reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in making a presentation to this group. I, of course, said I would be happy to do so. And that's how I end up in this strange and unusual position of making a presentation to a group of followers of Denver Snuffer. I have wanted for a long time to share with you, my audience, some of the experiences and thoughts I have about teaching at church. I have a long and storied career of teaching at church as gospel doctrine teacher primarily, but also in other areas. And I have been teaching off and on in the LDS church on a local level for 40 years. So I think that's enough background for you to understand what's going on here. And we'll go right now to the tape. Once again, this is Radio Free Mormon addressing a group of followers of Denver Snuffer in their Sunday meeting on June 28th, 2020. I hope you enjoy this. Play the tape. I'm recording. Nice. So, who's in charge of this? Is that you, Jonathan? I'm in charge of everyone and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me, so let me introduce you to some people really quick. And uh, unfortunately, several people couldn't make it today. We kind of ducked out at the last minute. But well, um, I'll just speaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, let's see. So we've got um, Glenn and Mary Jane Chella. Um, you should see them labeled there. They're waving at you. So they live in Louisiana right now, um, but they were in Germany uh, working for the Department of Defense and the education system, and they were there for gosh, twenty years, I think. Long, long time. So they just moved back to the States um, just a year, year ago or so. Um, So they join us occasionally when the time zone difference works out well. And then let's see, next we've got uh, Justin and Katia. Katia, I always say, I always mispronounce her name. So Justin is from America. Uh, His his wife is from Russia. Um, and they live in the Netherlands with their children. Um, and so they've lived there, I think, five years. Is that accurate? Six years. Okay, six years they've been there. Justin will tell you that he's your number one fan, but I'm your number one fan and he's number two. <laughs> <laughs> so very kind of both of you. Yeah, I think of everyone here, we're probably the two that have listened to every single episode and uh, follow you pretty closely there. So, Wow, including the one so, from... What, two days ago with Carolyn Pearson? Who has listened to that between the two of you? (laughs) Either? I'm halfway through it. Okay, Jonathan, are you halfway through? Um, I'm three quarters of the way through. How about that? Are you really? Okay, you're still number one then, I guess. Sorry. Sorry, Justin. (laughs) No, it's all right. Um, Let's see, we've got Dion Clark. She lives with her children um, a couple hours west of us. Uh, near, it's called the Cotswolds. It's near Oxford. All right, we've got Chris and Sarah Atkinson uh, there with the microphone. They live up in Northern England in Leeds. Um, And there's another family up there in Leeds. I don't know if they're going to join us a little bit later, but um, no, they're not. Okay. And then uh, Bernard is here. Bernard lives in, is it Bountiful? Bountiful. Bountiful, Utah. Bountiful, Utah, but he's from um, Czech Republic. Czech Republic. It's from the Czech Republic. So he's he's good friends with another um, lady that she can't join us today, but from Slovakia. Um, and so there's kind of there's a connection there. And again, when the time zone works out, they'll sometimes uh, join join in here. And so Justin, too. Yeah, he's yeah. related to me. Oh, then Justin as well. Okay, yeah, that's Multiple right. Multiple connections. 
lots of connections and Justin's and Katia. Okay. And Katia as well. Um, yeah. So let's see. So we're missing a family from Leeds. We're missing from Slovakia. We're missing from Italy. We're missing from England. We're missing from Scotland. Um, she couldn't join us today either. So we kind of, we have a quorum, but not quite everyone, but they're all looking forward to the recording. So it's Frederick as well. We're missing. He's just recently joined us. Frederick. Yeah. Frederick's missing. He's in Sweden. And then, um, Tim Thatcher, uh, he lives pretty close to us about an hour away. He's not here either. And I think, you know, Aaron and me, um, pretty well. So, and it's, and it's kind of funny because the first place I met you was in England. Oh, me. Yes. Right. That is funny. Why is nobody laughing? I don't know why. (laughs) Nobody's laughing. (laughs) It's so funny. uh, It's not funny. It's interesting. Um, so yeah, let's see with that. Aaron's laughing. laughing. (laughs) I'm not laughing at what he said. I'm laughing at what you said. (laughs) I'm the funny one. (laughs) Let's see. So it's, it's your show and your time. So I'll just turn it over to you and whatever, however you'd like to run this or do this or ask questions or whatever you'd like. Okay. Well, can I do this first? And Jonathan, I know you're mainly the spokesperson today, but anybody else who wants to answer this question, I do have a few comments that I prepared, by the way, good morning for everybody from Washington state. I know it's afternoon where most of you are, except for bountiful, I suppose, or Louisiana is probably still morning too, even that far South. Right? So I guess I won't wait to hear back from people because a lot of people are muted, but we are here in a meeting on a Sunday. It is June 28th, 2020. I have been asked to join in this meeting, make a brief presentation of some sort, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if it's a sacrament meeting talk. Have you already had the sacrament? We nope, don't have we're just here to hear you. So we don't have the sacrament at this point. No, we're not we're not planning on doing that today. It would take a while to pass it around, I guess. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of I could get there quickly, but not that fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is it that binds you all together? Because this isn't the first time you've gotten together on a Sunday to talk about things related to religion. What is this about? And I will get to a few comments that I've thought about actually. Jonathan, <laughs> did you hear my question? I did, and I'm happy to talk, but I think that my accent is probably more boring uh, compared to some of the others uh, on here, so I'll try to refrain right. as much as possible. But Okay, uh, so I, Jonathan, I want you to pick one, one of the other people to answer that question. I know Justin. I think Justin is pretty eager to talk to you, so I'm going to okay. let Justin ask question. Hi, Justin. What is it that Hi. you are doing here today with these other people, and why are you getting together by Zoom on the Internet to talk about things? All right. So I've been a part of the group probably about a year, a year and a half, uh, even while I was still attending my local LDS ward. Uh, And I was just looking for a common group of people who, you know, came from similar backgrounds and weren't really satisfied with what they were getting out of their church experience, kind of similar to me. Um, Not necessarily that I'm looking for people who think exactly like me, but we are all seeking, you know, a little bit more in our spirituality. And I think that's what I found. It's a hodgepodge of people and we all have different opinions and we're all on different um, like faith journeys, but that's what binds us. Well, let me ask you this question because there's really only one approved faith journey within the LDS church. So what are you doing going out beyond the LDS church and having a, a meeting that is not sanctioned or probably not even have any, like, the bishop. Is anybody a bishop here, state president? I'm not seeing any church leaders here. So this is uh, this is outside the normal curriculum. 
So what, what faith journey I, I are think, you having? Let me just hop over just a second, Justin. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I don't think any of us, uh, speaking for me and Mary Jane, we don't, we're not any longer members of the Mormon Church, so we don't need their, their permission, authority, or anything to do anything. We resigned over a, year, over a year ago, well over a year ago. We asked to have our names taken off the records of the church. So I don't need their permission to do anything. And that's Glenn and Mary speaking Jane? Of, yeah, right. Glenn and Mary Jane. Right. So I know that there, so there's a group of people here, maybe six or seven, half a dozen, uh, typically perhaps a dozen when everybody shows up. So if you are all different in that regard and Glenn or Mary Jane, since you got the big picture here, anybody else can throw in. And I think that perhaps Justin already answered this to some degree. What is it that causes you to be joined so strongly as to get together every Sunday to want to meet together? I think we have a, we have a, we have a common belief in the uh, downfall, apostasy of the uh, Salt Lake City Mormon Church, and we have a common belief in the, uh, oh, he doesn't like to call himself a prophet, he likes to call himself a teacher, in the teachings of Denver Schnupper. And I think that's how we all even got together in the first place, was that that organization, not organization, his movement, I guess you want to call it that, uh, put up a, 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 on a website, it says, it, for fellowships, called a fellowship locator. And it says, if you're in this part of the world, click on this. And we all happened to click on it. And that's how we actually got together. Uh, that facilitated, that website facilitated our getting together. I understand. Thank you very much. Now, Denver Snuffer is certainly a somewhat polarizing figure within Mormonism right now. I think the last time I talked to him was a couple of weeks ago by phone. And I understand he brought me up recently. He, he actually made a presentation here. Is that right, Jonathan? Mr. That's right. He he met with us last week. He and Stephanie um, they gave they gave a presentation and just kind of met and spoke to the group uh, as well. Okay. Well, that must and, have been a thrill for everybody. Yeah, it's it it's fun to have you know him speak to us. It's fun to have you speak to us. We're you know we're pretty open to hearing from different people and different sources. And I think I agree with Glenn. I think what what really unites us is not only that kind of like apostasy of the LDS Church, but also the kind of excitement or interest in, in Mormonism or things that um, are related to that. So that's a, mm -hmm. that's a commonality as well, is that I think we enjoy speaking about it and discussing the subjects and, and some of the documents. By the way, I've got to ask you, Jonathan, did Denver happen to mention me when he showed up and talked to you? No, I mentioned, I mentioned him. I mentioned you to him, I believe. I said I was your son because I know you guys talk. Yeah. And he, he didn't know me at all. I mean, I just emailed him out of the blue and said, hey, if you're interested, you could you could talk to the group on Zoom. I think everyone would really appreciate and enjoy that. And uh, in the course of that dialogue on email, I, I mentioned that I was uh, your son. Oh, OK. And he was pretty excited about that. It's small world, obviously. So and he enjoys speaking with you a lot. It is a small world as a general principle within Mormonism. It's a small world. And within whatever it is you guys are. Uh, <laughs> this movement, right? Not an organization, a movement. There's always, a, it's even a smaller world. But it's this interesting idea of this difficulty that uh, Denver seems to have and his followers see, you don't even like that term, I know. But it's this difficulty in nomenclature and even describing yourselves. It seems like uh, before you talk about who you are, I mean, I used to be able to say I was a Mormon. And even then you can say, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that's a mouthful. But even that is very short compared to sort of the, the verbal gymnastics that I see that um, a lot of people like you have to go through in order to identify who the heck you are and what you believe. Did you want to say something there, Dion? Uh, yeah, I think that we are all linked by our 
our love of the scriptures, the love of our Saviour, um, and we meet really every Sunday in order to uh, and to discuss the scriptures, just to discuss the the gospel of of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I don't think any of us are really followers of anything. Um, I think we all have differing views, but we are led by some commonality. Um, and and that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if one person believes one thing or one person believes another. That's not important. What's important is is the friendship that we all share, and and the fact that we are, I suppose each each of us are all searching for further light and knowledge. We're all searching for truth. However, that comes up. I think if we were going to say we were followers of anything or anyone, we would say we were followers or striving to be followers of Christ. Exactly. No, no man, yeah. just Christ. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we read what Denver's written, and you know, listen to other people. We read other books, um, but yeah, we're all striving we to be Mormon. Christ. Sorry, Justin. We listen to Radio Free Mormon. <laughs> we do. <laughs> That's to balance yeah. out the further light and knowledge. You you also listen to Radio Free Mormon. But you know, uh, Denver Snuffer, he is he's written so many books. He's written so many big books, right? It's amazing. I, I think of him as the Stephen King of Mormonism with what he writes. And I've read some, I've actually read some, I did a book review on uh, the one that really got him in hot water, which was what, Passing the Heavenly Gift? True? Yes. Right. That's what yeah. he got excommunicated over, I believe. And that was in September of 2013? Yes. I think so. I think yeah. so. Wow, pretty good. Okay. So let me go ahead and talk to you a little bit about things uh, and what I have prepared today. First thing I wanted to say is this. It was around 20 years ago that Jonathan was giving a talk in sacrament meeting. So he would have been around 16 years old at the time. And he stood up in front of the entire congregation and he, I had no idea what he was going to talk about, anything he was going to say, but he led off by saying that he wanted to tell, he said, I want to tell the congregation how it is that I came to be talking to you today. And he said, well, you know, the bishop went to the best looking member of the ward and asked him if he would speak. And he said, nah, nah, he wasn't going to do it. So then the bishop went to the smartest member of the ward and asked him if he would speak. And he said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. So finally, the bishop went to the most spiritual member of the ward and asked him if he would speak. And then Jonathan says, and, you know, I really couldn't say no to the bishop three times, so I finally said yes. It does sound like Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, we don't have the audio of everybody laughing here because most people are muted, and that's okay, but I just want to let everybody know who's listening to this in the future, this is bringing down the house for a second time. Jonathan, that was a great, great line. Um, so that's the story about Jonathan. There's, I want to talk a little bit about teaching in the LDS church, this whole concept of teaching in the LDS church, because it's fascinating to me, and I want to share a few stories with you about it. But the first is this, that the LDS church is very structured in every ward and every stake, and even above that, they have so many different little offices and places to fill. We know you've got bishops, you've got uh, young women's leaders, and you used to have young men's leaders, but now that's named something else, and you've got all these people in the different quorums, right, and the different groups. And But there's one calling or one position that I think is by far the most numerous of any other calling in the church. Any idea what that might be? Teacher. 
Yeah, since I started, I gave it away when I said what I'm going to be talking about, right? Yeah, it's teachers. There are so many teachers in the LDS church. Where in a ward, you've got so many teachers, uh, tons for every little group. And even in Sacramento, a member is supposed to be a teacher when they're getting up there and talking. Excuse me for just a second. Once again, early in the morning here. Am I doing good product placement with this, by the way? I don't know. Can everybody see that? Oh, it's a cup. Very good product placement, yes. <laughs> I thought it might be a beer. Yeah. Yes, I'm getting paid healthfully. By the uh, Coca-Cola you company. Pick. You got that. I'm, I'm, yeah. Jonathan has one too, except he has, he's drinking the hard stuff. Yeah. <laughs> because it's the early evening there where he is. But, you know, they even have uh, classes about teaching, not about public speaking, but just about teaching in Mormonism, including this, uh, this class and this booklet called Teaching No Greater Calling. Everybody's heard of that one? Okay. Mm-hmm. I even had to go through that at one point. I didn't have to, but I did before I went on my mission back in the late 1970s. And the thing that's fascinating to me about this in Mormonism is that there is such a focus on teaching within a church where the LDS church, the very last thing that they want to have happen within a church context is anybody teaching somebody something. So on the one hand, they've got all this focus on teaching, all these callings for teaching, but the last thing they want to have happen is anybody actually learn anything at church. All right. Exactly. Pretend that you are learning. Yeah. So I... I think of teaching, I don't think it's a crazy kind of interpretation or definition of the word, but I think of teaching as teaching something to somebody else where they learn something in the process. I don't think you can have teaching without learning, right? And yet the LDS Church wants to have people, teachers, all over the place, but nobody learning anything. It's almost like that scripture from the New Testament, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, right? Except in the Mormonism, they have that, but they also have ever teaching and never able to teach anything new or anything at all for that matter. Now, of course, in primary, in primary, there is teaching, right? Because you're just absolutely new. You're a little kid. You haven't heard anything before. So actually you are learning things. But once you graduate from primary, you go on from there and it's a rare occasion indeed when you're actually going to hear anything different within a church context, which is why I sometimes say that in the LDS church, you never really graduate from primary. So having said all of that, I will tell you though, that when I joined the church, as a convert in 1978, not having grown up in the church, I had a very exciting well, couple of years, I suppose, when I'm going to church and actually learning things. Can you imagine being 18 and 19 years old and going to church and learning things? Some of you probably have that experience with your converts, right? It's a wonderful time. I was very excited and learning things. And one of my first callings back when I'm 18 or 19 years old was as a teacher, and I was teaching the eight-year-olds. And I thought, this is nerve-wracking because I don't know anything about Mormonism or the Bible or the scriptures or anything. And here I'm teaching a class. Now, it's a class of kids, right? But I'm thinking they probably actually know more about Mormonism than I do. And I'm sure they did. But I have a manual, okay? So I have this love-hate relationship with the manual. I loved it for maybe a couple of months when I was teaching eight-year-olds and forever after I've hated it. But it was a lifesaver at the time for me. Because I didn't know what the heck I would teach or what would be right or what would be correct. But I had the manual. And I remember one day that I was teaching about Job in the Old Testament. Yeah, that's a good thing to be teaching little eight-year-olds about. But it's okay because we taught the eight-year-old version of Job. And I didn't know at the time, only to find out, you know, 40 years later or so, that that's the only version of Job that's taught in the church is the eight-year-old version of Job. I remember about Job that... Job is actually considered widely to be one of the literary classics in the entire world. 
that just happens to be in the Bible. But it's up there. It's considered to be up there with uh, oh, the Iliad, uh, a number of other books, because it is so profound and it's such an important work of literature. But in the LDS Church, we, of course, like probably a lot of other churches, I'm not sure how many others, but we treat it like a children's story. We take this huge, wonderful, widely recognized piece of world literature and treat it like a children's story for our entire lives, which may have led Bruce R. McConkie in a list of books when he's talking about books in the Bible and what he thinks of them and what how important he thinks they are to say, oh, the book of Job is good for people who like Job. Anybody ever see that list that he wrote? Yeah, I remember he talked about that. Job is good for people who like Job, which means he was pretty dismissive of it. I don't think he understood the depths of it, but that's okay. But that's also sort of symbolic, I think, of what happens in the LDS Church and what brings us together today is that there is this idea that there may be massive depths and literary qualities and further like knowledge available within the scriptures, and yet the LDS Church does not seem to want to try and mine those or try and find those or try and deal with those in any way. I once said that it seems like the LDS Church spends 95% of the time talking about 5% of the scriptures. And I think that's probably conservative. It's probably that's more like yes, yeah. 99% of the time talking about 1% of the scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, and they twist that 1% to what they, they do what? mean. Oh, they yeah, take absolutely. the 1% out of context, twist yeah. the meaning. Yes. So we've got that situation. But of course, you know, you have to be in the church, or I had to be in the church for at least a few years before I began to wake up to that fact and see what was going on and see that I'm hearing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And actually, uh, hearing or reading the same thing over and over again was, was okay for me for maybe the first three or four times, maybe even five times. But when you start to get up to 20, it starts losing its appeal. And by the time you get to 100, no, the eyes are rolling back in the head. So back to teaching Job to this primary class, right? Back to teaching Job. Uh, I was so nervous. And the reason I'm so nervous is because the ward primary presidency is going to be visiting my class to see how I'm doing. Now, looking at this from this perspective, I'm just laughing at myself, thinking how nervous I was that the ward primary presidency was going to be visiting my class to see how I'm doing teaching these eight-year-olds in this little tiny ward in Sumner, Washington. But they did come. I was nervous. I was, I guess, okay, because they didn't fire me. I don't know what I thought they might do if I, if I didn't measure up, but I felt all this pressure. Okay, one other story now about teaching having to do with this very same class is that one day, uh, one of the, it was one of the girls, the girls tended to be more interested, perhaps smarter, at least at that age. You know, when you're eight, the girls are smarter. Then when you get to be around 16 or 18, the guys pass them and leave them in the dust. Forever after, really. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's nice. <laughs> I don't think you can say that. I'm sorry, what? I don't think that's politically correct to say that. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I, everybody's laughing. Okay, I want to. Everybody's laughing. I see everybody laughing. There's one sister who looks like she's going out of the screen, maybe to get a gun. But that's okay because you're on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, There's no, no guns in England. Only well, no Americans guns in that- England. Okay. <laughs> Well, and I, I'll say even worse things, but we're teaching this class and it was one of the girls and I, it, was just, it was a little girl named something lively. Her last name, I think it was lively, sweet little girl, but I'm talking about God or something in this class. And in the middle of the class, she says, she says, uh, oh, brother, radio free Mormon. Yes. How did God become God? And 
See, I knew the answer. I knew the answer. So there's two sets of air quotes in that one little sentence. I knew the answer because I've been reading teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. You don't go over that church, right? That's side reading. And I'd gone all the way through it. So this must have been 1979 by now because I remember when I read it and teaching this class and I know what the answer is. But I also at this early date where I've been a member of the church for probably no more than a year, I recognize that there are things that you talk about in church and with kids, especially. And there are things you don't talk about in church. And it's interesting to me that I already recognized that at that very early period in the church. And so I thought, okay, I need to put this kid off. And I did quite effectively. I thought, I said, okay, uh, here's the deal. Um, I'm teaching this lesson right now. And I think that's a great question. Very smart. But if you want to know the answer to that question, just wait till after class. Okay. And uh, after class, after prayer and everything, then we could talk about it. Then. Knowing full well that no kid's going to stay after class for crying out loud, right? That bell rings, boom, they're out of there. So I fear I've got this covered. So we go through the rest of the class, whatever it was on. This is not when the primary presidency was there, right? And get to the end. Somebody gives the closing prayer. I'm putting my stuff away, getting ready to go. And I turn around and this little girl is standing there waiting to get her question answered. And not only is this little girl standing there, the rest of the class is standing there waiting to get the question answered. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh no, this is not working. So now what do I do? Well, I thought, well, okay, if everything else fails, I could try the truth. And I felt really pushed into a corner. Sometimes you have to be pushed in a corner to cough up the truth. But I said to the class, I said, okay, so here's the deal, all right? And I'm really, really concerned about how they're going to be taking this and how their parents are going to be taking this if they go home and tell their parents what their teacher told them in primary. I said, okay, so here's how God got to become God. God lived on another planet and he was righteous enough and did everything he was supposed to do enough that he advanced to the point where he became God. And I'm holding my breath, wondering what the reaction is going to be. And this little girl basically goes, oh, okay. Thanks. And then she turns and with the rest of the class, they just walk out of the room. That's all they wanted was an answer to their question. It wasn't something where they were going to suddenly start blowing up or having smoke coming out of their ears or something bad happening. They just wanted an answer to their question. That's all they wanted. And it wasn't going to be a big debate or about, well, then who was, who was God's father and who was his father and all this other stuff, right? So those are the two experiences that I had there that I wanted to share with you. Now, it also came, became obvious to me, as I'm sure it's become obvious to all of you over time in the LDS Church, that it doesn't take long before you exhaust the fund of knowledge about doctrine that is correlated and in the LDS Church. And once you get to that point, you can do a couple of things, and it depends on who you are. There's uh, a lot of members who don't really care about the doctrine. They don't really care about it, okay? It's not that big a deal to them. They go to church for other reasons, maybe for social uh, to the social life, I almost said socialism, to socialize, and for other reasons. But there are certain members of the church, and I'm guessing maybe a lot of people here are among those members who go, they want to learn, they want that further light and knowledge, they want that promise that's talked about in the temple endowment with Adam, right, to get further light and knowledge, that's what we're waiting for, that's what we're praying for. You can pray a lifetime in the LDS church, the way Adam prayed, and your prayer is pretty much always going to be not answered, because there is no further light and knowledge in the LDS church. Well, some of us, 
some of us could say we've had experiences with getting that further light knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then once you start testifying about that to your ward members, they see you as crazy. Right. This is another interesting. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> this is another interesting thing in the LDS Church, isn't it? Because there, there's what the church presents and what the church teaches, and then there's the reality. The church teaches about further light knowledge, even in the endowment, the temple, which is the most sacred thing that the LDS Church really has going, right? Further light knowledge, but when it comes to actually receiving it, then you're really not supposed to receive any further light knowledge. The only further light knowledge that you are allowed to receive is the further light knowledge that your leaders receive, and then you can receive a confirmation that their further light knowledge is true. And that's the only confirmation you can receive. The other thing was, oh, about uh, milk versus meat. I used to hear that all the time in the church. I'm not sure I hear it so much anymore. But this whole idea that Paul talks about, about milk versus meat, and you need to have milk now in order to prepare you for meat later. Well, this seems to be what the LDS church at least used to tell me throughout my entire life. They used to pretend they've got meat, but you always have to have the milk because you're never really going to be ready for the meat. But the, the idea is, Milk before meat, and if you you know learn your basics, eventually we'll give you some meat. They don't have any meat. <laughs> uh, Denver <laughs> Snuffer says that even the milk has been watered down. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That it's is very pretty funny. much water. There's no nutrients at all in that water anymore. It is. It is. It's like that old ladies commercial with was it Herfies or something? Where's the beef? There was an old lady who would say that. Where's the beef? Well, there is no <laughs> beef, and so that leads people to go to where Yukon. Let me think here. When I was on my mission, I read, and that was to Japan. I read this book. I read a number of books, not necessarily approved, but not bad books. It was by Dale Carnegie. He was talking about, uh, was it the art of public speaking or just public speaking? You know, he actually wrote a book about that. And one of the things that he wrote in there, because I fancied myself a speaker at the time, a budding silver-tongued orator, was, I like this, I still remember this, about how to give a talk, which was fill up the barrel, knock out the bung, and let nature caper. And the idea was just fill up that barrel with stuff, okay? Get it in your head, knock out the bung, which I believe is the hole in the side of the barrel, and then the just let, yeah, and then just let nature caper. Let whatever happens, happens. You've done your preparation before, and that's what I've been doing. I, this is actually an experiment in that theory, because I actually don't, here are my notes. Here are my notes for today. Don't know if you can see those. It's blank. Thank you, yes, it's blank. It is blank. No notes for today. I thought about writing no, no. things down, but then I thought, you know, I don't know if I really need to. We'll see by the end of it whether you think I should have. But by the end of this, here's what happens. Okay. I've got two main steps next to uh, left to what I wanted to present is that there are or used to be certain places that members of our common stripe could go to, at least within an LDS church context, and maybe learn more things. And one of those places had to do with state conference, the Saturday evening session. You know, there's state conference twice a year, just like general conference, and they meet on Sunday morning, and that's kind of the normal, typical stuff. But there was always a Saturday evening session at which a speaker would come out, and I don't know why, and maybe I was the only one, but it seemed to have a reputation for going into more real depth or more things that you didn't always hear. So that was one place, but then that changed over time too. Either it changed or I changed or we both changed together. Anyway, it's not being rewarding for me to go to that. But then there were also some people who you might know in your ward or stake who seemed to have a greater depth of knowledge. And one of those people back in Austin, Texas, when I was going to college, 
was a fellow named Larry Polson. And he was an older fellow. He was actually the father of my friend, Lee Polson. Lee Polson was a student there at the University of Texas. And his dad had been a bishop. He might've been a bishop at the time. Anyway, we would find ourselves on Saturday nights as college students, right? When you're out tearing up the town, we find ourselves going over to Lee's house and sitting on the floor and actually at the feet of his dad, who would stand there and not pretentiously or anything, but he would talk about all sorts of different things for even hours on end. And he was so interesting and had so much additional uh, information because he thought about things so much more. And he knew more things that we wanted to learn from him in a completely uncorrelated church context. Now, has anybody here had a similar experience to that? Okay, Justin has. Uh, I I saw it in the U.S. that, yeah, there were a lot of older ward members who would talk, and the gospel was exciting. Um, This was a large part of my faith journey out of the church when I moved to Europe. Um, First of all, I'm not not in English-speaking countries, so it was difficult for me to learn the languages. Um, So I would go to church, and church was very boring, not being able to understand the stuff. But as the months and years have gone by, you know, you pick up a language, of course. But even then, the talks were at such a low level. Um, just the level of, of Mormonism that's in these non-English speaking countries, I would say it's much lower. It's the primary level. And even once I, I, I understood the languages, church was incredibly boring. It's lost all of its excitement. And I had to go and look for that excitement for myself, you know really get my spirituality myself instead of being lazy and depending on a a church to spoon feed you something. Um, And yeah, I read these, these other books that you're talking about going into church history, seeing what Joseph Smith was describing. It was fantastic, amazing stuff. Every week the church was growing and getting new doctrine, right? But then for the last hundred years, they've been taking stuff away, less and less stuff. So the church isn't growing doctrinally. Yeah, for me, it was, uh, you know, there's no exaltation in continuing in a spiritually stagnant state. So we can't, so for me, going to church was spiritually stagnant. I didn't learn anything month on month. And I I was, you know, teachers and leaders. and, And even when you try to introduce something that you've learned, everybody, you know, in gospel doctrine, I try to introduce a new idea into something and it would be deadly silent, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, you know, why are you talking about that? That's not, that's not approved. And, um, yeah, so you, you just find yourself further and further outside of the norm. And it's not particularly where you, where you, you know, envisaged yourself being, but, you know, it's just, it's just, and is it the church's fault? I don't know. I mean, do we not all have a, uh, an individual responsibility to find truth ourselves? I know that when I joined the church, it seemed like the church really promoted the idea of individual learning, of studying the scriptures, of studying church history, and wanting and encouraging all the members, including me, to become a scriptorian, to learn everything I could about the church, to learn everything I could about church history, And I took that seriously, and I did that. I did study. I studied my brains out for 40 years, only to find out at the end that the church really didn't mean it. Mm -hmm. They really don't want you to study. What they want you to do is just have a familiarity with 
the surface correlated material and never go below that. Yeah. So I have a friend who left the church and he's, he's delved into scripture and asked questions and he was looking for answers for those questions. Um, and he would go to people in his ward on, and they would go to people in his stake to try and get answers and no one could answer those questions. And he ended up leaving the church and gone on a similar journey to those that are on this call. And when he wrote his resignation letter, he went to talk to a state president about it and he was saying, look, everything I've given you, there is evidence in the scriptures for why I've said what I've said. And the state president himself said, I am not a scriptorian. And he, he patted the, the church handbook and said, this is what I go by. Right. But it's not a legalistic religion. So, yeah, the church handbook, right, that, that huge book of scriptures, like the LDS church is Leviticus, right? But mm -hmm. except it's a Leviticus that's not in the canon. It's never voted on by anybody. It used to be you couldn't read it. <laughs> and yet that's really, that's really the scripture of the church. That's what's followed. I've got two stories that I want to end with. Uh, but I do want to ask before that, because I don't want to forget We've got people who are present here throughout uh, Europe and people who may not be in Europe but know about how things are in Europe. How is the church doing in Europe? Because I hear reports that it's not doing well. Justin's giving a big thumbs down there. I'd like, can I hear from everybody who'd like to throw in on that question? Because I know you come from different areas as to how the church is doing with its growth, with its, um, uh, I guess well, you can only really uh, talk about it in terms of membership numbers or any other way that you want to. And Justin, you're there on the screen. Can we start with you and then maybe work through other people? Yeah. So I'd say about in the last four years, um, the number that I heard was four to 600 wards were lost across Europe. And that was wards consolidating. You know, when you have two wards coming together, you lose one. So we lost about between four and 600 wards. And I'd say I've seen it with my own experience, my, my own ward, my own local ward, um, combined with another couple other wards. And it's mostly old people. Uh, when you think of like an American ward, you think of like 300 people. When you think of a European ward, at least on the continent where I am, it's maybe 60, 80, or 100 people. It's not the full 300. So a ward means something much different in Europe. It's mostly old people. There are no there's almost no primary. Um, maybe there's one or young man, young man or young woman. So you have a young women's presidency, but there's only one young woman in the entire ward. Um, very few people are joining the church. Um, there, some are joining, but it's really a lot of older people that are attending the ward. And they're always remembering the good old days. Um, like when the church was really growing back in the 60s and 70s. And now these old people are just becoming so old. And, and it's a social club. It's where they, they go to church to see their friends once a week. Was there any, and that's from Germany that you're really talking about that you've heard reports from throughout the, uh, throughout Europe. Is that right, Justin? Yeah. Okay. Anybody else want to tell me how things are going in their area? I think in the UK, it's, it's been a while since I've been to church, but... Uh... Certainly, yeah, numbers of, I don't know, maybe 50 to 60 people, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, from, you know, from the people that I used to go to church with, um, lots of, almost all have left. And, um, but they've left completely, you know, they've not gone on a, a journey to search for something else. They've just thrown everything out. You know, they've, they've discovered the um, inaccuracies with the church history. And then they've just, you know, 
just thrown it thrown it all out and, and completely left. Okay, so yes. that's the UK report. And then well, no, Sarah's going to give something. I was just going to say, um, here we we went to a branch because it was really little. Sarah, um, I'm sorry, just for the audience, is that Leeds where you are? I can't Leeds. remember. Yeah, Leeds, I mean, Northern England? Yes. Okay. And um, we, our branch was really little anyway. Um, I think most of the branch was taken up by one particular family. I think they had 10 kids, so they were pretty much primary and young women's and young men's was always full but just with their kids um but yeah again like justin it's a lot of older people um but i think it's older people who have found security and i think it probably too afraid to leave or can't quite um don't, don't want to now question anything because they've been there so long but um before we resigned um there had been people baptized into the branch, but pretty much left almost immediately. Um, I think because there was no, well, you remember now, so we can tick a box and say we've done our quota for this month and that's all that needs to be done. But I know since we've left, I think it's about four years, three, four years since we resigned, they've now joined the branch up with another bigger ward. So now they've become a ward obviously now that then crosses another one off the list like justin said they they join up but then another one's essentially dropped off um but again i think yeah they're just trying to make the buildings look more full by joining by joining um congregations up but yeah i don't there doesn't see there doesn't appear to be any growth and like i said when there was a baptism they they stayed for a couple of weeks at most, and then you never saw them again. So, yeah, I don't think it's doing particularly well here either. Thank you. It, it is a bigger part of society. There is a there's a movement throughout all of society in, in Europe to get away from organized religion. Um, so, in my country, like only thirty percent of people claim to have a belief in God. So they would say they're seventy percent atheist. But I would even argue, though, it's it's in your definition of words. Um, when people say they don't believe in God, they usually mean they don't believe in a God of an organized religion. And they usually mean Catholicism or Protestantism. When you do push the people, they still have some kind of like spiritual experiences. Like they do have experiences with dead relatives. Uh, they do feel a connection with the universe. And these are people who claim to be atheists. Right. So I'd be like, wait, how are you an atheist? But you've seen your dead relative. And they would, and then they'd further say, "Well, I just don't believe in organized religion." So that's the movement that I've seen. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, uh, I was going to go on with my last two stories about teaching in church, and I have not mentioned these on the podcast at all. So this will be new material. Don't know if Jonathan knows about this, but I did. I have taught in the church from time to time, and always with some controversy associated with it. Now, if you go to church and if you're a teacher, and if all you do is read the manual and stand in front of the class and actually read the manual and do no preparation beforehand, do no work. And honestly, if you were to stand there and read the manual, there will be no controversy about your class. That's funny. That's exactly what I used to do when I taught Sunday school, although I would do it on a PowerPoint presentation because I'm a geek. 
Okay, so you, at least you can read it off the PowerPoint, right? That's something. Yeah, or I got people to read read it or read the scriptures or answer the questions that I put up. I tried to facilitate a discussion because I was lazy and I couldn't be bothered doing the work, but right. I didn't just teach from the manual. And this is Chris. I, I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I was a rebel. I didn't teach from the manual at all. Even as elders form president, I would read just the title of the chapter that they wanted me to do. And then I would just go through all of the scriptures and like actually teach them what the scriptures said. Okay. Yeah. And it would come out saying the opposite of what the church believed. <laughs> Can I go back to Chris for a second? Cause I wanted to ask him a question. This is the fellow who read from the manual on PowerPoint. Chris. Vobistu. Mm-hmm. Oh, or Druven. <laughs> Chris, did you ever have any controversy in your class from reading the manual on PowerPoint? No, not all. No, because nobody's going to complain about that. It can be the worst class in the freaking world, but if you're reading the manual and everybody is dying of boredom, all right? In other words, if you make the worst presentation you possibly could, as long as you're just reading the manual, there's not going to be any complaints about it. I used to get... I used to get complimented on my lessons, actually. People who used to say it's a really good lesson and they really enjoyed it. And I literally just wrote, read out what was in the manual. <laughs> well, maybe you were a good reader, but sometimes I think that people come up and give compliments. Well, I'm not going to say that. I'll talk about me. I'll talk about me. I'll tell you one compliment I got at the end of a Sunday school class, okay? And this is a compliment. I would, going back to where I was about when I would teach, I would not read the manual because... I had become very frustrated and very bored with attending classes where all you went over was the manual. So I started thinking, well, I'm learning more things. I'm studying more things. I'm going to start incorporating those things into my lessons because I would like to give the kind of lesson that if I attended as a student, I would like to be there. So my goal was to make it so that no matter who you were, if you came to my class that I'm teaching, you're going to learn at least one thing. That was my goal to actually be a teacher. And Sometimes, by the way, I would study and prepare for like six to eight hours a week for a 40-minute class. And I knew that I was not going to be able to get it all in there. But I was very, very interested in that. Um, I won't tell you all the details about that. I'll move along to this story because sometimes I would do better than others as a teacher. You know, it's kind of like being a podcaster. There are times when I'm aware that I'm really not doing a very good job or I'm not living up to my expectations or something like that. And then there's other times when I just say, I'm knocking this thing out of the park. I am really, really hitting on all cylinders. And that happened when I was teaching. And I remember teaching once in the ward building in the Relief Society room where everybody is in there and it's all packed because it's a smaller room than the chapel, of course. And in the very front row, there's this old, old guy. It was actually Bill Everett's dad. If you remember Bill Everett, Jonathan. It was Bill Everett's dad and this old, decrepit guy sitting there. And I am knocking it out of the park. And by the way, when I teach, I also do not stand behind the platform or this little uh, podium kind of, kind of thing, you know, the wooden thing they put on top of the table in the Release Society room. I do not stand there for protection, okay? I walk around. I walk over this way. I walk over that way. I'm trying to be a moving target for multiple reasons. One of which is it's harder to hit me with flying fruit. The other one being, it's more interesting. I'm trying to be dynamic. I'm trying to make interest in every single way I possibly can in the class. And I am just doing great. I mean, Holy Ghost is down. And I'm doing fantastic, knocking it out of the park. I know everybody's really impressed with this class. So the the closing prayer said, and Bill Everett's dad, this old guy on the front row, goes, ah, ah. He's in a wheelchair. He can't even stand up. 
brother, brother RFM, uh, uh, can you come here? And I go, sure. And he says, uh, I want to tell you something. And at this point, I know what he wants to tell me. What he wants to tell me is how great I did because, you know, compliments. And I'm already expecting because I know I did great. And I'm just ready to say thank you. Okay. Because my mom always taught me if somebody gives you a compliment, you just say thank you very much. You, you don't say no, no, I wasn't that good. You say thank you. Okay. And so uh, he can't talk so loud. So he's, ah, come here. Come here. I want to talk. And so I bend down. And waiting for the compliment, here's what Bill Everett's dad whispers in my ear after that Sunday school class in the Relief Society room. He goes, ah, brother RFM, ah, uh, your fly is open. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That means zipper. (laughs) Yeah, zipper for those of you from, uh, if you don't use the word fly. And I'm going, oh, ugh. And it was, and it wasn't just a little, it was a lot. I mean, I was flying at full mast and I'm immediately, I'm thinking, okay, and here I'm the guy who doesn't stand behind this lectern up there. I don't hide behind, I'm walking back and forth. I'm going, how long has this been going on? And I remember I went to the, you know, restroom right before the class started. And apparently I was thinking too much about my class and not enough about what I was doing. So the entire class, the entire class, I'm up there parading my wares and think I'm doing great. And finally, yeah, it's Bill Everett's dad who told me. So that's one story about my compliments. But here's the deal. When I taught gospel doctrine class, I've taught it off and on during my membership in the church, but this particular time was 2006 to 2010. And I taught all the way through all four years. And I told you my theory of teaching. I would also go to many other sources. It was during this time I got into biblical criticism and all sorts of wonderful resources. And my knowledge about the scriptures, especially about the Bible, was just exploding because I was looking at sources outside the LDS context. That just sort of happened basically because I was viewing video lectures from this company called The Teaching Company. And they would just go around and they would take videotape of famous or popular professors teaching on their subjects of speciality. And that was all it was. And so I happened to get one about the New Testament, something about the New Testament, since I like the scriptures, a guy named Bart Ehrman, who some of you may have heard of, who's a professor of Bible studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I didn't know what a big deal he was at the time. But yeah, all of a sudden he's talking to me and he's really just talking about what you would learn if you went to the first day of college, your first year of college in Bible studies. But it's overwhelming to me. I cannot believe that there's this much knowledge about the Bible that I have never encountered in 30 years of studying the Bible because I've been studying it with Mormon sources and Mormon sources have only one viewpoint of the Bible and they will quote each other and they will just look at certain scriptures, right? But there's another view and it's a broader view and it's a view that lets in a whole lot more light and knowledge. And that's what I felt like as I'm listening to these lectures and I got a bunch of books, got a bunch of other resources. I'm incorporating stuff like this into my class and the membership of the class are divided into three parts. There's the, the one third who doesn't want to be there anyway. They're not interested. They don't care. Fine. There's another third who thinks, wow, this is the best class I've ever been to. And I actually had a few people say that. This is the best class I've ever been to. And I would think, well, that's because I'm actually teaching you something. And the third group would be those who did not like the fact that I was teaching things that were outside the manual. 
they did not like it. And there's one lady, Sister Waters. I don't know if you remember her, Jonathan, but she would be a path, like after every class, I think, straight to the bishop's office to complain about me. So you can be really trying, working six to eight hours a week to prepare stuff for class, trying to make it so exciting that at least some members of the class, I've never been to a class that's been this good in the church. And yet there will be other people in the same class, sure as I'm sitting here, who will be so upset by the fact that you're teaching something that's not in the manual. Remember, you'd be as boring as dirt. As long as you're in the manual, nobody's going to complain. But these other people will complain. And in the very passive-aggressive culture of Mormonism, they don't come to you and talk to you. No, they go straight to the bishop to complain. And fortunately, I had other people who liked my class. This is all going on unbeknownst to me, right? Because I'm not in the leadership of the church. There's a reason I never rose to leadership positions in the LDS church. I think they had me singled out from an early age. And But there are other people who tell me later, yeah, they were talking about you in the priesthood executive committee. And I was there and I told them, you better not, you better not release RFM from that position because he's the best teacher I've ever had. And you shouldn't listen to this other person, okay? You shouldn't listen to this other person. Well, eventually I did get released. Of course, it was after four years. It was under kind of strange circumstances. I won't go into that here because it's a bit too detailed. But I will tell you this, that when I got released, a good friend of mine who was similar to me in, in ideas about things, this is 2010, it's brother Daryl Adair. And he sometimes listens to this show, so I want to give him a shout out. Daryl Adair, elderly gentleman, very wise, good teacher, uh, was called to take my place. And shortly after he was called, he had to go somewhere on vacation for a Sunday and he gave me a call. So would you substitute? So sure, be happy to. So showed up, taught a class. I think I walked up to the front of the class on that day and said, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. And then I taught the class. And I'm looking up here, I'm seeing some people laughing, some people not, but that's okay. I'm not hearing any laughter. I'm used to hearing the laughter. This is like giving uh, one of those uh, conference addresses now in the little building, not in the conference center, but now because of the COVID-19, giving it in the little conference center where there's nobody there, just this little room, and you give your punchline where everybody's supposed to laugh, and there's no laughter. I hate that. Okay. We are, we are laughing, just for okay. all of meat. <laughs> well, I'll put a laugh track in later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We'll get Chris laughing. You can just reproduce it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> play continuously. That's right. Yeah. In the background. So we were talking. So okay, where was I? This is the test, actually, where we see how closely you're paying attention. Uh, I was talking about this teaching, this teaching, this being in class, this the thirds of you're the class. You were substitute for someone else. You were substituting. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes. After you've been released. Yes. So Daryl Adair. And, you know, he thought I was a good teacher. He's one of those very intelligent members of the class who thought I was a good teacher. So he asked me to substitute. And I said, just when you thought I was safe to go back in the water. But then after that, you know, I would attend his class and uh, be there and like the things he said. He had thought-provoking questions. And But then there came a time when he went on vacation again or something. He couldn't be there. And he didn't ask me to substitute for him. He asked somebody else to substitute. And this <laughs> other person was... Yes, I felt uh, spurned, but he had this other person substitute, and this other person really wasn't very interesting. And it wasn't just that I thought this other person wasn't interesting. It was another person that I knew that Daryl would not think was very interesting. So I thought, oh, well, it's his class, right? He can pick whoever he wants to substitute for his class. That's fine. But he didn't even call me. So anyway, no big deal. 
but he's a guy who was on the move. And so maybe once every two months or so, he might not be there. All of a sudden, this pattern started where he would ask people, basically uninteresting people, people less interesting than Radio Free Mormon, to teach the gospel doctrine class. And being correlated. Uh, yeah. And so I'm watching this and I just keep thinking, why is Daryl doing this on the one hand, but on the other hand, not thinking a lot about it because it's not my class. It's his class. Fine. That's fine. So a couple of years later, I think it was around 2012 or so, Daryl has a heart attack. And I'm his home teacher, by the way. And I actually went and saw him once a month. By the way, don't you love the new ministering program? Don't you love the new ministry? See, I'm going to get off topic here. I've got to put a mental tag here to come back to where I was before. The new ministering program used to have home teaching and visiting teaching where you were supposed to go visit your family once a month with a message. And it was usually the first presidency message, right? But now, now by revelation from God, what we're doing is the true order of home teaching and the true order of visiting teaching. We're doing ministry, which is really the way God wants it done because we're really, really going to up the level of what it is that we're doing and how we're taking care of the other members of the church. Except when I looked at the details, what happened is, is that actually what they did was they lowered the bar incredibly on what's yeah. expected of the members. Instead of visiting your families once a month with a message, right? Now you only have to uh, visit them once a quarter and you don't even have to visit them. You can just text them once a quarter and that'll count. And you don't have to have a message. You just say, hey, how you doing? Uh, text. I LOL. And you got it, right? I, My I sister's a member and she hates it. She just thinks it's the, the biggest waste of time. But, but I do have that right. Isn't that really what it is? Yeah. Isn't that really what it is? Uh, I, I think it is. So, so what I had said to somebody was that, so really now, instead of waiting until the last day of the month to visit my families, I can wait till the last day of the quarter. I think that what happened there, it was really that the LDS church finally understood that there was nothing they were ever going to do to actually get the members to do their visiting teaching and their home teaching. And I'm sorry, because I know women, I think, do visiting teaching probably better on average than the men ever did their home teaching. It was just abominable. It was horrible. And I think they finally realized that and they said, okay, look, we want them to do this, but they're doing this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create a new program that basically makes it easier to do this, and we'll call that success. They just lower the standards completely. At the same time, they're saying we're raising the standards. So it's kind of this Orwellian doublespeak thing going on. But I don't even think that ministering is doing very well either. So going back to where I was with with, uh, Daryl Adair, he had a heart attack. And he's in the hospital. I can't remember if it was a heart attack or heart surgery. Anyway, he survived. It was okay. And I was visiting him at the hospital in a town maybe 30 minutes away from home. And I was talking with him and he was talking with me and we had a nice visit. It was a sunny Sunday afternoon. And I think I was about ready to to leave. And he says, uh, hey, RFM, I need to tell you something. And I said, what is it? He says, well, you probably noticed that I haven't been asking you to substitute for my classes in Sunday school when I haven't been there. And I said, "Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Now that you mentioned it, I guess you're right. Of course I noticed. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't want to make it so obvious. By the way, now we're going to do another backtrack here, okay? This is just another tangent, something everybody knows, but I want to establish it, is that when you are a teacher in the LDS church, and there's tons and tons of teachers, and you can't be there for any reason, standard operating procedure has been, since Adam and Eve came out of the garden, that you're the one who's responsible for getting somebody to take over, 
right? You don't call the bishop and say, hey, bishop, I can't be there, sorry, click, and leave it to the bishop to find somebody. Or you don't call whoever it is who's in charge of the program, the primary president or the Sunday school president. You don't do that. You are responsible for finding somebody. And it really doesn't make any difference whether it is your friend, whether it's your dog, whether it's your cat, whether it's a stranger you pull in off the street. You just need to fill in that spot to have somebody there to teach your class. Okay, we all know that. Now, having said that, back to the hospital room. Yeah, yeah, I guess I had noticed that, uh, that Daryl. Yeah, you hadn't been asking me to be your substitute anymore. And he says, well, I wanted to let you know why that was. Why is it? Because a while back after they released you, and after I asked you to substitute that first time, I got a list from the Sunday school president. And they created a list that said that if you cannot teach your class and you need to find a substitute teacher, this is a list of people in the ward from which you must select. No way. 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 <laughs> your substitute teacher. And guess who oh. didn't make the grade? You. <laughs> yes. I flatter myself that I was the reason for the creation of a list that didn't have my name on it. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And he says, well, that's why I haven't been, you know, asking you to substitute because you're not on the list. Oh, okay. Thank you. So I did a slow burn about this for a few weeks. And uh, I was very, very upset at the Sunday school teacher in the ward, Sunday school uh, president in the ward. You know, a person who basically doesn't do anything. That's got to be the cushiest job in any ward is being the Sunday school president, right? Except this Sunday school president made a list. And he's a friend of mine. I mean, you know, I'm not a close friend, but I've known him for years and years. And I, I'm just going, you, you did that, huh? Okay. So I'm just mad. And I'm doing my own passive aggressive thing, which I learned in Mormonism. And I'm not talking to him. I see him in Sunday. Forget it. I'm not talking. Talk to the hand. And one day... I was going into church, into the chapel, and he was standing there by the side of the door handing out the little programs. And I go walking by and he says, hey, 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 wait, what is it? And he says, you know, I got this feeling the last few weeks that you're kind of unhappy with me. And I just said, well, I had a choice there, right? I could do the typical Mormon thing and say, no, everything's fine. Have a good day. Love you. But no, instead, I said, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, your instincts serve you well, because I have been very upset with you. And let me tell you why I've been upset with you, because I found out about this list. And I told him about the list, and I'm not on it, and what's the deal? And he said, well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this to me, because that list wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with that list. That was from the bishop. So we're tracing it back. And at this point, I could have confronted the bishop, but I thought, you know, what is the point? What really is the point? I know that he did it. I know why he did it. I think I know why he did it. I know that regardless of why he did it, if he did it for the reason I think he did it, he's not going to admit he did it for the reason I think he did it. So you did it fine. That's okay. I understand you don't want me not only to teach in a calling in the church, you don't want me to teach even as a substitute for one lesson in the church. That's okay. But now, by the way, how long do your meetings usually go, Jonathan? As, as long as we want them to. <laughs> just keep okay. going well that would probably be about half an hour ago for this meeting right <laughs> no no this, no, this is, is great okay there's one other story but this is this is the funny thing is that um, the lds church as part of 
not wanting anything really of substance to ever be communicated to the members sets things up in a certain way in order to make sure that that happens. And one of the ways that they do it is uh, well, they have three hours of church for crying out loud. That seems counterintuitive. And you come to church for three hours. I know it's two hours now, but three hours forever. When I was in for 40 years, 40 years times three hours a week, that runs into a lot of time. So you think if you're going to church for three hours a week, they must want to teach you something, right? But they set it up in such a way that really you never learn anything. And one of the key ways is, is that they never, first off, basically no speaker is ever really going to want to tell you anything. Most speakers don't know anything to tell you. They basically will just go back to oh, a conference talk. I mean, they're assigning conference talks now to be given as talks in church. Worst idea in the world, in my opinion. But I cannot tell you how many people would get up in a sacrament meeting and say, well, I was assigned to give this conference talk by this general authority in the last general conference. And they would name the general authority. They would name the conference talk. And then they would always make some comment like, well, you know, I can't improve upon the way elder so-and-so gave this talk. So I'm just going to read it to you. And I am tearing my hair out going, anybody could improve on the way elder so-and-so gave that talk. It was horrible the first time. Anything would be an improvement. Please don't read it again. But they go for it and they read it anyway. But one of the things is that if, there, if a person did have something of substance that they wanted to communicate to the audience, something that they actually wanted to teach, the thing is set up so that they can't. They can't teach anything. And once again, most people don't really have something that they want to teach, something that they're passionate about, something that they've learned that they want to communicate to the audience. Most people are up there because they were asked to. Do you, do you think the church will shut down fast and testimony meeting at some point? Or they'll make it by invitation only? Uh, anything is possible. Uh, to the degree that they continue to get people up there who are saying things that the church doesn't want them to say, yeah, they'll be pushed in that direction, I think. I think they will. They're, they're continuing to focus on the testimony glove and having only the five things that you say in testimony meeting. Because really, that's all we want to hear is everybody get up there line after line and say, I know this is true. I know Jesus is true. I know the church is true. I know Joseph is true. I know the prophet is true. And I know that the Book of Mormon, right? That's the fifth one, right? Book of Mormon is true. And, you know, Jesus Christ, amen. Boom. Next. Replay. That's really what they think a fast and testimony meeting is supposed to be about. But I think that, honestly, that's the last thing a fast and testimony meeting is supposed to be about. But this is this idea of the, the leadership of the church wanting to extend their control over everything that happens in every ward. And to a certain extent, I understand why they, they want to do that. But at some point, it becomes overkill. And the fast and testimony meeting, we all know about correlation and how that's been going on for 60 years now, and actually even 100 years if you go back and look at the roots of it around the turn of the 20th century in the early 1900s. But this correlation allows them to control all the lessons that are taught in the church. And fast and testimony meeting is really the one place where they don't have the control and so I see them trying to exert control over that and try and say, this is what you're supposed to say. These are the elements of a correct testimony. And this is all that you're supposed to say. And don't go off into anything else. So that, that may happen. Justin, yeah, that may happen. But only if it comes to the point where they think it's too big a negative to allow other people to say what it is they have to say instead of saying what it is that the leaders want them to say. They have ways of making you talk. You know that, Justin. 
We're living there in Germany. You know that. Isn't it funny that the best speaker that the leadership of the LDS Church has today is the one for whom English is not his primary language? I said that recently, too. Yeah. Okay, so boom, boom, boom. All right, final, ta- final, um, final story having to do with teaching in the church. This is really strange because I'd already kind of been blacklisted in a star chamber from teaching anything, any class in, the, in my ward, including as a substitute. But at this point, I'd been given a very important ward calling, which meant that I could not be available really for teaching. At least this is the way it was explained to me. It was extremely important calling. It was extremely time-consuming. And what the calling was, was being the secretary for the high priest group in my ward. And I can see by your faces. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I said, wow, I bet you were thrilled. Absolutely. Such an honor. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the very important calling, a very time-consuming calling. By the way, I was the best high priest secretary that ward's ever seen. But that's why I could not teach, so... That was the explanation for the the star list, uh, the star chamber, the blacklist that I wasn't supposed to know about until my friend told me about it. But then around the same time, once again, I am the secretary in the high priest group, and I'm at a church function of some sort, and it's in the gym, what's sometimes called the cultural hall, and there were chairs that had been set up, and I'm there helping take down chairs. And of course, in a high priest group, you have the high priest, and you've got his two counselors, right? And I know both these, all, all three of these guys, I meet with them every week at least for um, our meeting where I'm the secretary. And one of the counselors, his name is Brother Breitling. And we're sort of putting up chairs together. And he says to me, he says, RFM, you know, we in the high priest group leadership, we'd like you to teach a lesson in high priest group. And I thought, really? You know, does the bishop know about this? No, but I thought, really? Do you, you want me to teach a lesson? Okay, well, what do you want me to teach a lesson on? And he says, well, what we want you to do, the, the subject is, is, is um, to teach a lesson about why it is that when we teach lessons in church, we need to base them only on the manuals and the scriptures. And I thought, well, that's an interesting lesson. That's what, that's what I'm supposed to teach on, huh? He goes, yeah. And I said, um, okay, so what lesson am I supposed to use from the manual? What number is this? And he says, oh, well, it's not in the manual. Trying to teach you something there, aren't they? <laughs> so the first thing there is, you go off script. <laughs> I am supposed to teach a lesson about using the manual in my lesson based upon a lesson that's not in the manual. So I thought this is very, very interesting at this point. And I'm sitting there talking to him. I said, really? I said, okay, so um, uh, was this your idea, Brother Breitling, to come up with this lesson? I mean, it's not in the manual. Somebody had to come up with this idea. Was this your idea? No, no, it wasn't my idea. Okay, so was it... Uh, this other brother who was the other counselor, no, it wasn't his idea. Well, was it uh, Brother Chat, who was the, the high priest group leader? No, it wasn't his idea. Okay, well, was it the bishop's idea? No, no, it wasn't the bishop's idea. Well, the state president? No, no. Well, did this come down from Salt Lake? No, no, it didn't come down from Salt Lake. Well, I mean, we're running out of options. I could not get him to fess up as to whose idea it was. He would not tell me whose idea it was for me to teach this lesson that's not in the manual. And They're trying, thought, to shoe, trying to shoehorn you back into the box, aren't they? Yeah, like they, you there. RFM's really straying here. We need to shoe, you know, shoehorn me back in and make sure he stays where he's supposed to be. <laughs> yes, they're trying to teach me a lesson, but I can't find out who it is who's behind this because I guess they didn't want to be named 
which says a lot. So anyway, I thought about this. I thought about this. I actually talked about this with the first counselor in the same group. Uh, the other counselor, other than Brother Breitling, who broached the subject with me. And uh, this other guy says, oh, you, would, you shouldn't even go to church that Sunday. It's a trap. He said, it's a trap. I wouldn't even go to church that Sunday. It's a trap. And I kept thinking, well, what's it, what exactly is the trap? I mean, what are they going to do? And I thought, what am I going to do? Okay. So it's very obvious what's going on. And it's obvious to me that I'm not going to teach the lesson that I've been assigned either. So it's sort of like a Kobayashi Maru scenario. It's a no-win situation where if I do what they want me to do, then I am not being true to everything I've done for the last several years in Sunday school class, certainly not being true to myself. But on the other hand, if I teach something different, then I'll be marked, right? I will have fallen into their trap. Whatever it is they're going to do, they're going to wait for me out in the parking lot after church or something. So what I finally decided to do was I, I reprogrammed the simulator. I got a commendation for original thinking. And what I did was I took a handful of quotes from leaders of the church that talked about how it is that you don't have to think the way the leaders of the church think. And I taught that to the class. And I made sure that they knew because I introduced it. Well, as Hugh B. Brown said in 1969 at the commencement ceremony for the graduating class from BYU, Hawaii, very famous quote among certain circles, which is we, he uses the we, right? I don't think it's the royal we. I think he's speaking for the first presidency of which he's a member. We are not so much concerned as whether your thoughts are orthodox or whether your thoughts are heterodox as we are that you should have thoughts. Perfect. Well done. <laughs> and I quote that and I say, so what do you think of that? Agree? Disagree? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Everybody's got to agree with the member of the first presidency. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I did with that class. And I guess I never heard anything about it afterward. I was never asked to speak again afterward either. But those are the stories. And it's this whole idea of uh, the discomfort that the LDS church has getting back to where I started off, that they want to talk about further light knowledge. They want to talk about this meat that's hanging out there in front of you as soon as you get done with the milk and that you will learn greater things. But it's just not going to happen here. Sometimes the image came to my mind that the LDS church is like a bus stop where you're waiting for that bus to come along and take you along the route, but the bus never gets there. You're spinning forever in that bus stop. That is your final destination. <laughs> You're being told you're waiting for a bus, but it's never going to come. And the other thing was that came to me was that the LDS church talks about um, a lack of progression and defines hell as being a lack of progression, like that damn analogy. The LDS church defines hell as being a lack of progression and then has created a church that matches the definition. <laughs> okay, that's it. That is my presentation for today. It is 926. We've been at this for an hour and a half. Did anybody here have any questions for me? I can go for another half an hour or so at the most. And if you don't have any, that's fine. We'll cut this off now and go right to the refreshments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I was actually, I was reminded of a RFM story as you were telling stories. So I remember being home from college and I can't remember if this was before my mission or after my mission, but you and I went to um third hour together i don't remember if that was high, high priest group or elders quorum we went we, so we, but we went to class together and the teacher stood up with the 
general conference stock that he had been assigned. And you know, most people, like you said, will give some commentaries, tell a personal story, and then read a few quotes. He was just, do you remember this? He was just reading it. He just started at the beginning and just started reading it slowly, very slowly. And five or six minutes in when we figured out that he was just going to read the entire thing and then probably read the one like right after that, you, you said, oh, um, excuse, excuse uh, Jonathan and I really quick. We have a meeting with the bishop <laughs> and we walked out of class and we're going down the hall and I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to go talk. To, I don't remember who the bishop was, um, but, you know, we're going to go talk to the bishop. This will be fun. And so I, so I said to you, like, oh, what are we going to go talk to the bishop about? And you said, there's no meeting with the bishop. <laughs> we just got to get out of here, man. <laughs> let's, let's bail. And, I, you know, it's, it's really, it's kind of it's sad in a way because correlation has just destroyed the the personality of the church and the, and the spirit and the creativity. Cause I remember another experience with you. I would say if the church, church if, the, if the correlated church were a United States president, it would be Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just very, it's, it's the same tone. Like, and, and you see that nowhere better than a general conference where even though you have all these different speakers and sometimes from different places in the world with their accents, because English is a second language, they maintain the same cadence of all the other general conference talks and it's the exact same tone and inflections and humor and all the rest of it. There's just, there's no personality there. And that from the top has been trickling down to these lower levels where we're seeing that at the lower levels now. And it's, 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 it's really, it's really a shame because I think there are so many wonderful people in the church that have so much to contribute and offer either from their backgrounds or their stories. I remember one other thing that you did during this was a sacrament meeting where um yeah, it was pretty fun the bishop the bishop stood up and said brothers and sisters we have a very special guest today and i'm trying to remember which apostle you were i don't remember if you were john or peter or maybe you were paul john or was it paul do you remember john. this it was, or was john. john i do it was john who said we had like back know, in 2002 have, or so yeah we have we have the apostle john with us today and, and everyone's just like kind of looking around and then the back doors open and you walk in and you're dressed the part as well. You're, you know, you're wearing a, a, not a, a robe, a costume essentially. And you're, I remember you had your, your hands together and your head was bowed reverently and you walked up to the front and then I you grew up my beard as much as I could I had sandals yeah, on. <laughs> and you, and you went up there and you gave a talk as if it were, John speaking, you know, in, in John's voice and what he would say if you were it was there. Easter. Right. So there, there, there's some, I think there's so many people out there that are willing to put in the time like you did, you know, that, that hours and hours during the week to prepare a lesson on Sunday. And there are other people that don't. And sometimes I think the church forces those people to teach because it's going to be a great learning experience for them. And they're going to learn like, no, you should just leave those people alone. Go to the people that want to invest the time that are energetic and good at it and let those people, you know, let those um, people teach. And I think that because of, because of the way that that has happened in this, this correlation and this watering down of everything that you have said, there are people in the church that are starving for, for meat, right? They're just, they're starving for something. And the commonality between us is because I think that we have found that with each other and learning from each other, because I think who you see sitting here are people that are willing to, 
that are spending the time during the week reading the scriptures so that when we come together, we have some very interesting conversations in the scriptures because people have spent the time reading and thinking and, and are have the freedom to ask questions um, and to speak about subjects that they might never do that in the church. And I think that's where Denver Snuffer has filled a big hole, if you will, is because He's, he's the, he was the first person in a long time that came along in 2013, kind of that 2013, 2014 timeframe and said, hey, if, if you're feeling like this, if you're starving, it's okay to feel that way because you are starving. And none of us, because none of us stepped to that point and said, no, it's my fault. It's my fault. I'm starving. I'm not doing enough. This is on me. Well, and the leaders told you that. Well, exactly. That was the narrative that the church, the LDS church leaders told you as well. But Denver started teaching from the scriptures and like, you know, you kind of said there, like this, this, the Stephen King, if you will, of, of how many words that he is putting out and publishing and, and talking. There is so much material there. And for a lot of people in this group, it, it resonates and it's interesting. And it's and it's it's just it's just kind of re-excited the entire gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as Joseph Smith. Um, and it's like, hey. Do you remember, I don't remember when this when this came out, but the first presidency released a letter that said, you know, when you give, it was guidance essentially to members, it said, when you give talks in sacrament meeting in LDS wards, don't invite or encourage people to open the scriptures with you. Just read the scriptures yes. and just leave it at that. I do. Like that's, that's just, that's, that's just so baffling to anybody here or, or I think to Denver or uh, not that I want to speak for him, but like, let us open the scriptures and let us read them and let us talk about them and let us, let us like, let us feast again because we've all just been starving. And so anyway, I think that I, I was thinking about that a little bit, kind of going back to it earlier, like, why are we meeting on Zoom? And I think there are, there are groups back in America that get to meet in person because they live close to each other. For us, Zoom is the medium in which it allows us to see each other face to face as well as to talk. But I think that's kind of filling that hole for us in our lives where we get to come together with other people, other backgrounds, other experiences, and even different beliefs. And we get to talk not just about scriptures, but we get to talk about other things as well because the LDS Church has correlated all the materials and we get to speak about things outside of that. Like if RFM, you were to come here and be like, let's talk about Moby Dick. Let's talk about Shakespeare. Some of these things that you really love, like that would be so exciting. And, and we could learn truth from that. And um, so anyway, those are the, a couple of the things that were on my mind. I thought it'd be kind of fun to share a couple of RFM stories. Uh, Thank you. Since I shared one on you at the beginning. <laughs> et tu, Brute. Let me just tell you two other things here. And actually, I'll probably have to be going here shortly. There are other people in the house who I think are maintaining their distance upstairs and not wanting to start their day because of recording. Even though it's fine if you want to make noise in the background, if anybody can hear my voice, yeah, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, this whole idea about they are not feeding the members anything, they being the leadership of the church. And yet they proclaim, we have been so spiritually fed in this general conference we have been spiritually nourished when, at least for me, and at least for everybody I know, that's not true. Everybody's spiritually starving. So you've got all these people. I mean, we have uh, spiritual rickets in the LDS church. We are so starved for the spirit. And yet, at the same time, they're saying we have been so spiritually fed. So I, for the longest time, and some other people, I think, are thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't get anything out of that. I felt like that was like the worst and most boring and horrible general conference I've ever heard. 
But I literally felt that every single talk, every I dreaded going to general conference or listening to it. It was so boring, and I could never understand why everyone found it so amazing and and special, and they got so much from it. I was like, "Is something wrong with me? This is this is horrendous. I hate it." I, I always fell asleep as a TBM, and I would I would justify it to myself, saying, "Well, I felt the spirit, and it was so soothing. You know, I just fell asleep." You feel so much peace. <laughs> yeah. No, I do want to come back to that, but it's this whole idea about the blame game. But this whole idea that, oh, what is it? Um, that when you're a little kid, when I was a little kid, uh, my, maybe my dad or my, my dad was old enough to be my granddad. I came along late in life. I was a huge surprise and blessing for them that he wants me to go to sleep. So what he does is he takes a little children's story that I've heard a hundred times before goes in my room, sits on my bed, he's an older man, turns the lights down low, and then in this very monotonous tone, he reads this story to me I've heard a hundred times before. And sure enough, I would go to sleep. And this probably is not an uncommon experience. Many people have this experience when they were a kid, right? And then what they do in general conference is they replicate those exact circumstances. They have an old guy up there reading a story that you've heard a hundred times before, and they turn the lights down. And then they're surprised that people go to sleep. Of course you're going to go to sleep. It's a learned reaction, if nothing else. But the big thing is, is that it's your fault. It's your fault. Because I'm a leader of the church. I'm up here saying uh, we've been spiritually fed. So all the other good parrots are down there in the pew saying, oh, we've been spiritually fed. We've been spiritually fed. But almost to a man and almost to a woman, I'm sure there are some people, actually, I had one listener say, yeah, I actually used to like general conference. Okay. So there are exceptions to every rule. But largely, everybody's out there going, I haven't been spiritually fed, but everybody else has been spiritually fed, and I know that they've been spiritually fed because they're saying it. So I'm going to tell them that I've been spiritually fed too because I don't want to be the odd man out. And otherwise, they'll look at me and they'll know that the reason that I haven't been spiritually fed is because it's my fault because I'm doing something wrong or I'm not righteous enough to feel the spirit when these apostles are talking, right? So you've got all these people running around saying how spiritually fed they are at General Conference while all of them almost all of them, a large number of them are going, what's wrong with me? Because I don't feel the spirit of general conference, but I'm just saying what everybody else is saying to fit in. It's an amazing psychological function. It's kind of like the story about the apostles, the all top 15, when they get together in a room and have a meeting and all of them are secretly having the same thought, which is they're wondering if they're the only one who hasn't seen Jesus. We're all laughing at that. That's very good. (laughs) (laughs) I can see you laughing. I can see you laughing, but it's just, you know, it's like it falls flat. It's like, is this an audience or an oil painting? (laughs) It's a tough audience here tonight around the world. This is Radio Free Mormon around the world. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's, uh, gosh, you know, Jonathan, I'm about ready to head out. Did anybody have any burning questions that they had? Were there burning questions? Can we tell your audience the the URL? It's fellowshiplocator.info, and they can find groups of people. Okay, like let, me, let me back up here and just say, yeah, uh, so this is a group of people who are have the commonality of wanting to learn more. They, they may be post-Mormon, they may still be in the Mormon church, they want to learn more, they want to progress on their journey, they want to receive the further light and knowledge, and they're all under the same, is it a general umbrella relating to an association of some sort or other with Denver Snuffer? Okay, so... Justin, go ahead. Now, having given that that information, you say, uh, how do people get in contact and become a part of a group like this? Is that what you're trying to promote here, Justin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a website where you can find other groups in your area. Uh, our group is associated with Europe. Uh, 
uh, we meet on Zoom. Other groups across the United States and in other countries uh, might be meeting physically uh, together. They might have regional conferences from time to time, where, or we might have international conferences also uh, where we get together. The URL is fellowshiplocator.info, that's I-N-F-O. And uh, it's a Google map with many, many, many pins all over it. And you can find people who have similar desires to you that you can get together and discuss ideas. It doesn't mean that we all believe the same thing. Uh, we don't even have rules that you have to actually meet with us every single week. Like I certainly don't meet with the group every week. It's just whenever you want to. Um, I would even say that I don't feel completely fulfilled by what I even get from the from the fellowship itself. You know, except for I've today, right? Except for today. Come on, tell me the truth. Okay, okay, go ahead. Of course. Yeah, I still want more. Um, and it is helpful to see the experiences of other people. Um, my experiences are different from yours, and that's fine. But we can still get together and learn from each other. That's the only way we can learn from each other. <laughs> How can we learn from each other if our, all our experiences are the same and if we all say the same thing? Yeah. And it is quite different from the LDS model, like you've been saying. Um, being told by the top down exactly what to do. When you first join one of these groups, it might look like chaos at first. Like, who's the leader? There is no leader. There doesn't have to be one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Jonathan in his little window up there, just doing a little finger pointing at himself. <laughs> He's like, like this. <laughs> we pay our tithing to every month. <laughs> Okay, so let me just go ahead and tell this little story about Denver Snuffer, and then I'm done. And then I'll be out of here, okay? Everybody want to hear a story about Denver Snuffer? The guy who is definitely not the prophet and leader of this club, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so anyway, he got in contact with me, or we got in contact with each other a few years ago, when I wrote a review about his book. And this is a book, actually, that Jonathan gave me. I think it was for Christmas. I think you gave me that book, uh, Passing the Heavenly Gift. And I thought, well... You know, I'm hearing more about this guy and, you know, he's getting in trouble and he's becoming more of a issue, an issue in the church. So I thought, well, let me read this book, see what he has to say. I'll write a book review about it. At a minimum, I'll get to know what's going on. So I did that. And somewhere in that process, I think he reached out and made a comment to me in the comment section. We got in touch with each other. Then I started doing the Radio Free Mormon podcast in late 2016. And sometime around then, I had reached out to him by email and said, hey, why don't you come on? We'll do an interview. And he had begged off and said, no, I'm too busy. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do some other thing. And um, okay, okay. So every now and then, I'd sort of reach out and just say, hey, why don't you come on for an interview? No, I'm too busy. So a few weeks ago, it might have been about three weeks ago, I, had, uh, I was doing that nine weeks of podcasting, nine weeks from hell, doing a new podcast every weekday. And I'm just talking about from the listener's point of view, nine weeks of hell. It was really hard for me. That was really bad. But in the middle of this, I get an email out of the blue. It's been quite a while since I talked to Denver. I get an email out of the blue and it says, call me. And it gives his phone number. And it says Denver. I think it's a cell phone, phone number. I think I should read it on the air here. Kidding. Just kidding. So first off, I'm actually concerned because I think he wants to bust my chops about, you know, Joseph Smith and polygamy, because that's what Rock Waterman always wants to talk to me about. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, because, you know, obviously, I bring that up every now and again. I don't do any episodes 
focusing on that issue. I think I did one, maybe I did recently with uh, Jonathan Streeter that did talk about a part of that. Anyway, I thought, does he want to bust my chops about this? Uh, probably not, but I don't know. So I give him a call later that day. He picks up and uh, I say, Denver. And he goes, Radio Free Mormon. And I say, immediately, I say, so have you finally changed your mind about coming on my show for an interview? That's why you're calling. And he goes, no, oh God, no, I'm not going to do that. And I said, oh, come on. I thought that's why you were calling me. You finally, you finally decided you want to come on my show for an interview. No, he didn't. So he wants to talk about a few other things. I won't bore you with them. I don't know if you'd be bored, but it's getting kind of lengthy. It has nothing to do with him coming on the show for an interview. It has to do with one of my listeners uh, who had made a comment that I had read on the air and that he had heard about. And he wanted to tell me about the background on this listener because I didn't know him except for a name. He's kind of a big deal. So I get back. Uh, I'm at the office now. I respond to his email that he had sent me originally to call him. And I said, hey, it was great talking to you. Oh, oh, oh. No, that's fine. I think I think toward the end of our phone conversation, he'd mentioned something about, or I brought it up about Zion and this whole temple thing that he's trying to build. And he says that he's not really involved in that. Other people are doing that. And, you know, so I said, okay, okay. I didn't pursue it. But I got back to, now I'm at the office and I emailed him. I said, great talking to you today, Denver. Uh, hope you do well. And he emails me back and he says, yeah, it's good talking to you too. And I hope you'll reconsider relocating if we ever get Zion established. And I emailed him right back and I said, I'll consider relocating if you come on my show for an interview. That's and now cool. I, must, I must say there are many laughing faces here. Uh, <laughs> it just sounds like total silence, cricket, cricket, cricket. So I don't think he responded to that one. Yeah, I hope it didn't upset him. Anyway, he's a very, very nice fellow. And I can certainly understand Denver Snuffer's appeal. There's a lot of things that, that are appealing about him. But very similar to the way the young adults would gather around in Lee Polson's living room at the feet of his dad, Larry Polson, to hear new things being taught by a guy who knows what he's talking about that are interesting, that are deep, at least from our perspective at the time. And this appeal that I think Denver Snuffer has, because heaven knows that nobody's getting that from any leaders of the church. And we've got 15 prophets, 15 apostles, 15 seers, 15 revelators. That's like 60 people, all in all. <laughs> Yeah, and nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. So that's about it for here. Do you close with a prayer? Some, yeah, sometimes okay. we do, sometimes we don't. We just kind of go with the flow. Okay, well, tonight, today, we're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not today. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot for talking to us and, and sharing those stories and, and talking about teaching. It was really enjoyable. You are so welcome. You know, thank you for having me on. Thank you for inviting me. I know that you're all very, very nice people and, you know, you're normal people, you're regular people, but it really, this is kind of a, an exclusive group, at least from my point of view, that you get together, that you're all joined by, by the Mormon connection and wanting to actually learn more, find out more, and meet every week in order to facilitate that. I think that's great. It is. It works for us. Yeah, it's good. It, the only thing that would make it better would be closer together, but, uh, but we do okay with just you. Yes. Well, there are so few of you, really. I mean, I know they're, they're getting to be more and more, but there's so few of you. I'm just really glad that there's Zoom that you can meet together, even virtually. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Okay, so having said all of that, uh, should I say this is Radio Free Mormon signing off the air? From Europe. <laughs> From Europe. Yeah, Radio Free Mormon in Europe. <laughs> That's right. Perfect. Well, thank you again, everybody. I'll go ahead. I'll exit now. It's been great talking to you. It's been great meeting you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Come again.
Thank you very much. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. So that is the recording of me, Radio Free Mormon, addressing a group of followers of Denver Snuffer via Zoom in Europe on the Sunday morning of June 28th, 2020. I hope you've enjoyed it. I had a great time. Thank you to everybody who joined in. Thank you also for giving me permission to record that presentation and to record your comments. Yes, I made sure that I had permission from everybody and that they knew that I was recording this. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.